traditional definitions of business, entrepreneurship, and success have historically been reserved for cishet white men, and home-based businesses are often run by the rest of us. Whether you're focused on finances, freedom, friendship, or fun within your business, you get to make the rules and define your own success. And that is feminist as fuck. Welcome to F Words. I'm your host, life and business coach, Kelly Jackson. This week's episode is a conversation I had with the brilliant Rochelle Siebke, money coach. And we will link all of her socials and website and everything in the show notes um, because you will want to follow her and get all of her goodness that she puts out. Um, Before we get into that conversation, though, I want to read you some stuff from a document that she sent me to make sure that everything is covered because we just jumped into a conversation (laughs) and it was a phenomenal conversation. Every time I talk with Rochelle, it is just over the top amazing. So I, I always ask when I'm interviewing someone about their business, um, why is your business feminist as fuck? And here's what she had to say. My business is feminist as fuck because I'm literally building my life right now exactly the way that I want it to be. I work with the coolest women, have met women from all over the world who do deep, meaningful change work. It's incredible. We've created our own job titles, I get to take all my unique interests and skill sets and offer them up to other women, women just like me, who are heart-centered and purpose-driven and have a unique set of skills and do good in the world. When they are able to combine their unique skill sets, plus set up money habits and routines that serve them in their homes and in their businesses, their work becomes more sustainable. It is my mission to create well-resourced women. She has the time, the money, energy, information, and decision-making muscles to live, love, or leave without restriction. This is what Rochelle said about why her business is feminist as fuck, and I just love it. In this conversation, you'll hear us talk about abundance, sufficiency, and scarcity as like sort of a dial as opposed to an on-off switch of abundance or scarcity. She considers sufficiency as being a neutral place that we sort of need to acknowledge (laughs) because it's been left off the table for far too long. We've been taught that false scarcity is the way to abundance. And she asks, what if instead we were taught to trust our own sufficiency? Why were we not taught that? Who actually benefits from the quote-unquote traditional financial advice? Things like money doesn't grow on trees, or save for a rainy day, or don't spend it all in one place. What if instead we were to focus on sufficiency as okayness? Because sufficiency is where we mostly live. Sufficiency can be a ladder thought or a bridge to the abundant side of the dial. And if we consider the natural cycle of life, it doesn't concern itself with hoarding up enough resources to never need to work again. In some ways, the idea of never working again is really messing with our self-concept of what is enough and how truly sufficient we naturally are. So 
Rochelle says, how the work that I do with my clients helps them to embody sufficiency that they already have is with desire, reverse budgeting, and net worth tracking. You will love this conversation. You will take so much of it. I know I did (laughs) take so much away from it. And you're going to want to save this episode to come back and revisit, maybe take some notes. Um, And for sure, follow Rochelle on all the socials. She is an incredible plethora (laughs) of information that she shares. And um, yeah, enjoy. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited about this conversation. So I have, first of all, I have had several money people email me and say, oh my gosh, you coach people about business. I should totally be on your podcast. And literally every single one of them, I've been like, no, this is not, you are, you are not my people. You are not the right person for my people. And um, I think that, I think that you Rochelle Siebke, money coach. Did I say that correctly? You did. Amazing. I watched your I watched your um video on your Instagram to make sure. <laughs> I'm so glad it was helpful. <laughs> I saw the pronunciation video. I was like, oh shit, I should watch this and make sure that I know how to say her name. Um That's Rochelle Siebke, money coach. Brilliant, brilliant, amazing coach. Um I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. So before we get into what we're going to talk about, I just need to say I love the bio that you sent me. So I'm going to read this. Rochelle Siebke works with women who want to be smart with their money. They want someone to show them how to manage their finances so that they can make confident decisions based on how they want their life to look and feel, not just a number in the bank. She shows them how to get more of what they want while doing more of what they love. This is amazing. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. To me, money has always been about like, how can I reverse engineer my daydreams into like using money, using the money that I already have? How can I reverse engineer more of the life that I want? And I think, um, I've just been doing that throughout my life in little slow incremental steps. And I realized like, Oh, everybody else is not doing this. And I could totally teach people. Yeah. And the, the people who I primarily coach are entrepreneurial in some way. Not everyone runs their own business, but I have some attorneys and I have some, um, people who are are working in some sort of like governmental position or whatever, but they're sort of like an internal contractor of sorts mm-hmm. or internal consultant of sorts. Um, and so often what I find is that women who turn to entrepreneurial ventures, whether it's their own business or just some sort of entrepreneurial type of job, um, tend to have reasons that are either because they want to have fun in their work, or they want to focus on financial freedom, especially those who go an actual entrepreneurial route. They want some sort of financial gain. They want freedom of time. They Sometimes it's about like the circle of friends that they have and how they can support those friends. And so when we think about the idea of financial gain 
in entrepreneurship, oftentimes what people don't understand is how to shift their relationship to money mm-hmm. so that when they do up-level their income or when they do go to do taxes in a different way or whatever, they're not just like losing their entire shit yeah. <laughs> or turning to somebody who is offering something that's not a right fit like spreadsheets that don't make sense that you have to like change everything in them or some sort of um, system that just doesn't work for everybody. That's not universal, even though it's marketed as being universal. And so I love the approach that you have with this focus on how do you want things to feel? How can we make that happen? Yeah. Love it. So all of my, clients, we always start with the very first session, which is dare to dream. It's like, let's just mm. talk about if money and time was not an issue for you, how would you be spending your money and your time? Right? Like if you were financially independent at this point, how, like what would you be doing with your time? What would you be doing with your money? And how can we bring more of that yes. into your current income and spend your money and your time that way right now? And I think one of the most amazing things is the women I work with, they're so badass. They're already doing a lot of the things that they want to be doing. They're just not realizing that they're doing it. So a lot of times what they walk away with is the knowledge of like, Oh, I am already living the life that I want to live. I want to do more of it, but actually I am already really in alignment with myself. I love that. And that kind of recognition can be so huge. So we don't recognize what we're doing that we already are doing a version of what it is that we want to, then we sort of end up weaponizing what we're doing against ourselves Mm -hmm. and thinking that it's always so far away or that it's always so different from what we have. Yeah, That's amazing. I love that. Well, and I think that the thing that I see a lot of um, is this arbitrary revenue goal. Mm. And so, you know, the women that I work with think like, when I get to this goal, this is how I'll use my time and my money and my energy and my resources. When it's like in actuality, the destination is always going to be what the journey was. So let's set that up now. And as you get more, you'll do more of that, but you're not going to get there. Uh-huh. And suddenly have all of these habits in place to do all of those things that you plan on doing. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. You're not going to get there and suddenly have all of the habits in place. That's, <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, okay. So things that you, things that we talked about. Okay. First of all, we read a couple of books and then had a conversation about these books. And that's where this podcast conversation came from. Um, and during during the conversation that you and I had, I think you blew my mind at least a hundred times where I was like, oh, that thing. Because a lot of a lot of the concept of the books that we each read and then discussed, which I don't even remember what the books were now, <laughs> um, was about shifting your relationship to the concept of wealth and abundance in a way that invokes the concepts of um, quantum physics, which can 
sometimes be amazing and sometimes turn into some really oppressive nonsense. Mm -hmm. And so then when I was bringing up like, wait a minute, but this sounds like it's, you know, blaming and shaming and really oppressive systems. You were countering that in ways that I was just like, tell me more. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So first of all, I have to say, I'm also very skeptical around that sort of thing. Sure. But what I know for sure is that the results I've gotten to date have been good. Yeah. But if I want to get different results than I've gotten in the past, like what else can I be open and curious to, to sort of blow my own mind? Mm -hmm. I already know I can do things in small incremental steps. And I know over time that leads up to big change. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But I also know that my main work is the relationship that I have to myself and my own future possibility. Mm -hmm. Like believing that things that I can't even see right now are possible for me. Mm -hmm. And I think that that book, Quantum Physics, really blowing my mind around quantum physics and money and that we're sort of all on this continuum time and space continuum and we're experiencing what we're focusing on like I I completely do not understand quantum physics same I am (laughs) nowhere near a quantum physicist also I was talking about this earlier in the quantum physician clearly not anywhere near quantum physicist (laughs) yeah but I'm just like well but what is here for me right like I'm more interested in finding what is here for me than I am in underlining what is not for me Uh Mm uh-huh I love that and so when we were talking via messenger after the the conversation we had um you were talking about abundance sufficiency scarcity with like positive, neutral, and negative. And tell me more about this, because this is the stuff that really made me go, I'm sorry, I need to have an actual conversation with you about this right here in order to better understand what you're saying to me. This is, I need more. I need more. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for asking. And thanks for being open to the conversation. So what I've taken to thinking about the conversation around abundance and scarcity Mm -hmm is that we're completely leaving off the sufficiency in the conversation. Mm -hmm. And so if we're thinking about polarities, right, where like scarcity would be the negative end of the polarity Mm -hmm. and abundance would be the positive end of the polarity, And then there's no neutral, (laughs) like there's no discussion about what's in between scarcity and abundance. Mm -hmm. And also I have a lot of clients talk about scarcity in a way that they're like clearly like, well, I don't want to think that because it's scarcity thinking. And so they want to like just shove it away in the junk drawer and not talk about it. Mm. Or they want to ascend to only thinking abundant thoughts 
as if there's some sort of ascension that they're eventually going to get to this place where they just always believe that everything is possible for them and that there is no limit. And what I see more often than not is sufficiency is where we live. Like we live in sufficiency mm-hmm. on a pretty regular daily basis. We might be mislabeling it as scarcity. I, I hear a lot of people say like, oh, I can't afford that. Which I think it's more true to say, I've decided to spend my money and my resources somewhere else than it is that they can't afford a specific thing. Now, okay. hold on before you go any further. Mm-hmm. It's more true to say, I've chosen not to spend my resources there than to say I can't afford it. Okay. So, tell me why that's, tell me why. Just tell me why. Mm-hmm. I love this, but tell me why. Yeah. I mean, even the idea of like, All I can pay at the end of the day is my bills, right? Like I'm barely keeping up. I can only keep up. It's like, yeah, but like, look how, look, look how much you're already doing. Look how much you're already covering. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like no small feat mm. <laughs> to be able to have food, shelter, clothing, right? And most of us do cover our basic daily needs, at least those of us who are in the coaching community where we have access to coaching, you know, we, um, we can afford to pay for the coaching. So it's more likely true than not that we are meeting our basic necessities Mm -hmm. and plus them. Mm -hmm. And I like to think of it as Maslow's hierarchy where, you know, our basic needs are met. And then there's like, as we go up higher, we have more and more um, um, opportunities or things that we are providing for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And what I think is happening is we're judging ourselves for being in the middle of the pyramid instead of at the apex of the pyramid. Okay. And I think one of the things that's missing there is the idea that like when we desire something, that there's a deliciousness in that desire. Yeah. Right. It's like we want to desire something and immediately have it. And if we don't immediately have it or we didn't get our results as quickly as we wanted them, then we're like, well, there's something wrong with me. I'm not doing it right. I'm not as good as this other person. This other person has it and I don't. I just don't have what it takes. Um, like, what are some of the other things that you hear? Yeah. So, I mean, I think I think the sufficiency piece that you're bringing in is really interesting because what I hear a lot is I'm not doing enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not X, Y, Z enough. Or I'm too whatever, too stupid, too fat, too lazy, too whatever mm-hmm. for people to take me seriously or for me to, I almost said ascend, but not mm-hmm. in that way, you know, like yeah. the, um, the kind of like corporate ladder kind of ascension. Um, and so when you're talking about sufficiency, 
what I'm hearing is like maybe almost the same as enoughness. Mm -hmm. And then the not enough is in scarcity, but also the I'm, I'm too much. I'm too whatever is also kind of scarcity as opposed to being abundant because um, it's not something that you want to have that much of. Mm, I love that. I don't think I've ever heard anybody mention that. But when we think about, yeah, so like the way that I think about it is like scarcity is not enough. Sufficiency is enough. And abundance is more than enough, mm-hmm. which in terms of resources, more than enough is good, right? Mm-hmm. But when we hear people talk about I'm not enough or I'm too much, that's they are not putting themselves on this um dial that's like, oh, I'm I'm too much, and that's a good thing. They're putting right. it on. Yeah, and that's and that's a bad thing. And it's something that I should be worried about or ashamed about. Yeah. And, and because if we say I'm too much, then what that really means is, you know, I'm, I'm not the right kind of woman. I'm not, I'm not woman enough because I'm too X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. I'm too big. I'm too loud. I'm too boisterous. I'm too demanding. I'm too bossy. I'm too whatever else. Mm -hmm. So I don't have enough woman in me to be the demure Mm -hmm. bullshit picture of what women is supposed to be. So it would be more, more of more in line with the concept of scarcity rather than abundance, even though it is on the too much side, the more than enough side. Yeah. Yeah. I also want to like add this caveat in there about positive and negative. It's Mm -hmm. the same as positive and negative feelings. Like I'm not saying that one is better than the other. I'm just saying it's a dial. It's a continuum. It's not an on or off switch. Yeah. Well, and that's, yeah, that's like the concept of people who want to ascend beyond their quote unquote scarcity thinking to always think abundant thoughts. Like that's just like not being human Mm -hmm. (laughs) and to not have the feelings that we label as negative that are unpleasant, unpleasant Mm -hmm. emotional states. Like to turn those off would be turning off part of your humanity. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's thinking about how, how are you going to be able to relate to people when you turn off your humanity? Like what's going to happen there? And the real truth is that the majority of the satisfaction and the love that we feel is human connection. It really has nothing to do with our resources. Yeah. And so when we think about, well, if I only could think abundant thoughts and have more than enough resources, and I never worry that I'm not going to have enough, and I never worry that I'm not enough. And you again, exit this human experience if, as if you could, right? So first of all, as if you could, right. Second of all, the thing that you would really be missing and taking away would be the thing that's most fulfilling in our lives, which is our humanity and our connection to other Mm -hmm. people. Yeah. And, and when, 
I was having a conversation with um, another friend of mine about this idea a few weeks ago. When we think of people who have quote unquote ascended and they only have abundant thoughts and they only, you know, think in this kind of high minded meta way, it's typically people like, in my mind, Mm -hmm. Eckhart Tolle, Mm -hmm. Byron Katie, people who I I would not be able to have a conversation with Eckhart Eckhart Tolle. You know, Oprah can when they're talking about his book, but even at that, if they're not talking about his book, could Oprah even have a conversation mm-hmm. with him? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And she's pretty ascended, right? right but right. I, when we think of people like that who are, I don't know, they're almost like on a different level mm-hmm. than the rest of most of humanity is that like, do you want to be set apart so much that you're not able to connect with the rest of us, you know? And, and obviously I don't know what kind of relationships either of those two people have. They're just who I think of when I think about like humans who have perhaps reached that level of ascension that so many people say they want. Mm-hmm. I only yeah. want to abundant thought. I, I mean, I kind of doubt that either of them have also ascended to the point where they can't connect at all um but I do sort of like this idea of like if the goal is to really remove all of our human emotions like discomfort how are we going to connect with other people and is that what we would actually want Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right because Again, like you've been saying, it completely discounts the idea of sufficiency because mm-hmm. if scarcity and abundance are the only two options mm-hmm. and scarcity is the thing we want to avoid and abundance means that we have ascended, well, there is no middle ground there. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't leave room for what it really means to be insufficiency and be in humanity. Yeah, and I'm thinking about my own personal growth journey as well, and how it's really more like a seashell, where it's sort of like a conical, like, Mm. you keep coming around and bumping into those same lessons, and it's sort of like an onion peel, right? Like, you're like, oh, here's another layer, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and here's another layer, but oh, yes, I've already learned this piece before, and like now, and I assume that it's the same thing with abundance, right? Like, I think you probably always have a ceiling and you always have um, a new ceiling that you, right? You get comfortable in a new level and then it's like, okay, now I'm up against this next thing and there's another lesson to learn. And it could be the same lesson. I don't know about you, but in my own personal thought work, feelings work, spiritual uh, growth, I am constantly learning the same things again in a different way and a different (laughs) level. I'm like, oh yeah, this one again. (laughs) Yes, it's always the same shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have one of my clients, she um, voice messaged me the other day and she was like, and Damn it, wouldn't you know that means I have more work to do on myself. <laughs> yep. Yep. In order to get there. And I was just, again, I kind of I laughed, but I also thought, like, actually, what's really fun about this 
is it has nothing to do with the goal, yeah. right? Like the goal to create the goal is it's really who you become in creating the goal. And so it's like, well, of course, of course, it's still like more work to do because it's sort of the whole point. It's like, it's so frustrating when you're there. And that's the other thing that I would say about sufficiency. The way I see sufficiency is also like an acceptance. It's an okayness. Mm -hmm. It's not always just enough. Like I have enough, I am enough, but it's also like, yeah, but this is where I'm at. And this is what's happening. And like, I am still safe and I am still secure, even though there's things that are happening here that I don't really love. And I wouldn't have drawn this from the pile. Um, but yeah, there, there's, there's an acceptance in sufficiency, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I love this. I love this. Um, there's something that you sent me. I'm going to read this because I think it's brilliant. And I think it actually harkens back to um, part of the conversation we had after the books. The natural cycle of things does not concern itself with hoarding up enough resources to never need to work again. Mm -hmm. In some ways, the idea of never working again is really messing with our self-concept of what is enough and how truly sufficient we naturally are. That is brilliant. Thank you. And I have to say, um, I came across that when I was working with my own money coach, who is Natasha Teske. Ah, I love her! Of course. (laughs) And um, she was coaching me around um, this idea of, you know, does my safety and my security come from my bank account balance? Mm -hmm. Or does it come from my ability to be able to like get up trust that I'm going to make more money? Mm-hmm. Right? Like it's okay. If I spend the money that's in the bank account for something specific, when I trust that it's only money and I can always make more. Mm-hmm. The only way I can ever not truly have enough is if I have money saved up, and I will not use it because I want to make sure I have it later if something happens. Like that's the only actual scenario that I could ever not have enough. That's a really good point. I don't trust point. myself to be able to make more. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point, and that kind of goes back to the idea that I've chosen to use my resources elsewhere is more true than I can't actually afford it. Yeah, for me in that specific scenario, it definitely was. Um, and the thing is like, she had been coaching me for weeks and it was like breaking my brain. Cause I was like, no, no, no. It would really be a problem if X, Y, and Z happened. And she was like, I mean, you're really convinced that it would be a problem. <laughs> 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 and I, um, I went on a walk right before we got on our call and it was a beautiful spring morning. And I just, Walking for me is like meditation mm-hmm. and it is where I need to be. I need to be in the trees and in the sunshine and in the fresh air. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm going to have, if I'm going to feel like myself and if I'm going to have like ideas, mm-hmm. right. And, um, there is a bird that came down from the sky and pulled up a worm. And I thought, interesting, <laughs> 
this bird is not at all concerned if he's going to be able to get enough worms today that he never has to go out and find another worm. Yeah. Like he's like, all I need to do is bring this worm back and know that I'm going to like, the sun's going to rise again and I'm going to go out and I'm going to get another worm and there's going to be worms. And, um, I think in some ways, the idea of retirement, the idea of being financially independent, the idea of never needing to work again, um, has sort of robbed us of knowing that we are okay and we're going to be okay and that we will live to work another day and there is really I mean there's there's so much scarcity in our um, traditional financial advice and I think there's some parts of it that are wise you know so I I don't I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater, right the whole entire thing but I do want to question like where is this coming from so for instance, the idea of like, you have to have disability insurance because if something happens to you and you can no longer do your job um, in this specific way, then you won't be able to provide for yourself. Mm-hmm. And I do think it's wise to be aware and I do think it's wise to carry the insurance, but I'm not sure it's in our best interest to believe that if we lose a certain function of our ability, that we wouldn't be able to take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And the same with um, the idea of retiring. Like, you're going to go to work, right? First, you have to go to school and you have to get the good job. And then you have to work for them for 30 to 50 years. <laughs> And you have to, you know, keep your head down and follow all the rules. And maybe at the end, um, you'll have enough money saved up that you'll be okay until the end of your life. Yeah. And that's, that's so interesting because I have probably within the last eight months, been working on the idea of retirement because I grew up with the concept that our people don't retire. We don't retire. We just work until we die. Like da, 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 you know? And then it occurred to me that like maybe retirement might be something that I actually want, but I've never allowed myself to want it. Mm -hmm. And yet I don't know that that's something that I will ever want to do. What does retirement even mean if I'm not coming up with business ideas and creating weird shit for me to do in my life and earning money from that weird shit? Like that's, that's what I enjoy. And it's almost like a hobby on top of my real job, you know, like the businesses that I've created and I can't actually imagine not doing that. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that I wouldn't want to retire, not just that I've been conditioned to believe that our people don't retire, which is a whole different thing, but the idea that I wouldn't want to retire 
sounds very counterculture as well. Mm-hmm. And it's like what we're supposed to do, right? You reach 65, maybe if you're lucky at 62, if you're not so lucky, then it's 67. And then you just, what? A lot of people, their health deteriorates because they're not around the people that they enjoyed being around for so long. They're not doing things on a regimented schedule. And so they don't pay attention to their body's cues that doesn't sound like fun to me. <laughs> yeah, it's shockingly alarming, actually. The um, the statistics that are around um, how quickly health, and also honestly, mental health. Because yeah. When we, you know, it, we're ignoring completely that humans are creative and productive, and they want to be. So I think the 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 harmful idea comes in of like when we and I haven't studied this as much as I would like to, but you know, knowing where the idea came in in the industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. So the first hint that I had of this, somebody I was at um um an energetic um tapping session. Mm. Mm-hmm. And somebody was there and she was tapping on, I keep waking up in the middle of the night and I want to be able to sleep through it. And so the facilitator was like, okay, well, we can work on that. But like, what is the problem for you when you wake up in the middle of the night? Like, what is the problem? Are you like full of anxiety? She's like, nope, I'm just awake and I'm not tired. She's like, okay, well, what if that was not a problem? What if I told you that throughout all of time, humans would go to bed when the sun went down Right? They, they would eat their dinner, some would go down, they would maybe like sit around the fire, tell a story, go to bed, you know, have their uh, sexual relations, right? And then the sun would come up and they would go out and take care of their livestock. And then they would come back and get in bed. And it wasn't until we needed to punch a clock and be at work for the next eight to 12, 10 to 12 hours that we started sleeping the whole night through. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's fascinating. And how many other things have we started working against the natural cycle of the way that human development is created for in order to fit into a time schedule that was never created for our benefit. Right. And I think retirement is one of those things, right? And and I do think it's wise. I'm going to I'm I'm going to say very clearly like I am extremely proud of the fact that I have been investing since I was 18 years old and also I don't want to wait until I retire to be able to enjoy the work that I do and and the the way that I um the way that I work. And so it is, um, to me, retirement means I get to only do the things I want to do. And if I don't want to do something, I have some space and some cushion and some grace Mm -hmm. because I have taken a small portion of my earnings and set them aside for future me. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's such a different concept than what we think of retirement as you go to work for someone else for 30 to 50 years, and then 
one magical day happens where you never work again. And it's not about any kind of choice. It's not about what you want to be doing with your time. It's not about what you want to be doing with the money that you have saved. It's only, do you have enough to provide for your basic necessities and not go to work? Mm -hmm. What? Yeah. And then there's this um, other um, concept that's been introduced in the last recent years, right? Well, like last probably 20 years or so. Um, And I don't have the history of this track down either, but this idea of fire, which is like financially independent, retire early. Mm -hmm. And so their answer is just, well, let's just save aggressively, Mm -hmm. right? Let's make a lot of money and save aggressively so we can do it earlier. And again, if this is what you have decided you want your life to look and feel like you 100% get to do that. And I'm so happy for you. Absolutely. And also, um, it's really interesting for me to look, and, and this is true for myself too. So I'm just going like, to call my own, like, this is my own bullshit right now too. Sure. It's like, I want to be really good with money so that I can be free, mm-hmm. which what am I exchanging all of the time in order for money? Like yeah. my freedom. Yeah. My freedom, my time freedom, my like choice, all of the time I'm exchanging it for money. And mm-hmm. so it, it's an unlearning process though. It's an unraveling. It's like, again, so much of the traditional financial advice is not for us. It's mm-hmm. not a system that was created for our benefit. And really like um, this idea that we've been taught that false scarcity is the way that we get to abundance. Mm-hmm. And what if we were taught to trust our own sufficiency instead? What if we were taught like, hey, you are smart and creative and skillful and people like you. And of course, you're always going to be able to take care of yourself. You're always going to have something to offer. Somebody is always going to want to pay you for that. So different than like money doesn't go out on trees and don't spend it all in one place. Yeah. Save it for a rainy day. If we had a generation of people who was in that sufficiency space by default rather than the training that essentially the industrial revolution has created Mm -hmm. and perpetuated with the technological revolution that we've had. Mm -hmm. I, I cannot imagine how different things would be. I mean, they would be so different that I can't even imagine what that would look like. Yeah. It sounds like utopia. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I do think it's a whole new order, right? And so, um, you know, I don't know if we're ever going to get there. And this is the other thing that I've been really thinking about, too, which is there is for sure a macro economy that is in place. There Mm -hmm. is for sure systems of oppression that are in place. There are for sure people who are teaching all of the humans <laughs> and every structure and hierarchical 
organization that they can to rely on some external source for their okayness. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what we can do to change all of those things. But I think my message as a, as a life coach and as a money coach is the most important thing we can do is worry about what we can change in our own individual lives. And we talked about this a little bit too um, in regards to the book that we were reading as far as like, yeah, things are so, you know, and you've got the podcast, like things are fucked and I'm not even going to pretend that they're not, right? Like, <laughs> like, let's just say like, hey, there's a lot of problems here, right? And I don't want to pretend that there's not. Um, but yes, right? Yes, and yes, and you doing what you can do for yourself and for your community and for your to raise your consciousness that is the most empowering mm-hmm. thing that any of us can do. A hundred percent agree because if we don't do that work, we're stuck in the victimization mm-hmm. of the oppressive systems mm-hmm. as opposed to looking at them for what they are and recognizing the power that we do have on an individual level mm-hmm. to up level ourselves and then use that up leveling to create change within our tiny little communities that sort of creates ripples mm-hmm. and Enough people doing that will create a change that comes from a different, I almost want to say like energetic place, but like emotional place, a different intellectual place than fighting against the reality of what is Mm -hmm. from the outside. Yeah, I think mostly because when we get to the point where we're just resisting Mm -hmm. the reality of what is and like this is wrong this person is wrong this thing is wrong and and we really start to like take on that everything is wrong and we can't do anything until it's fixed Mm -hmm. that's the thing right I can't do anything until it's fixed well it's never gonna fucking be fixed because it's a system that's larger than I am so then I can't ever do anything Mm-hmm. And that just leads into more victimization and more it, internalized oppression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there's something around awareness of, hey, did you know where this comes from? Mm-hmm. Like, did you know that you only think it's a problem to be awake in the middle of the night because you think that you need to have a solid eight hours of sleep for your health, to maximize your health? Because that's what we've been taught. But actually, for 2,000 years before, (laughs) this is how humans slept. And it wasn't a problem. 
Yeah. The history of sleep is fascinating. Just like when I first learned about second sleep and like the two sleeps and Mm -hmm. whatever, I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. (laughs) So not only is everything else fucked because of the industrial revolution, but our sleep too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I just think it's so good to notice like, Hey, you know, did you, did you know that you are only thinking that you're not enough because somebody has a financial stake in you believing that you're not enough mm-hmm. or that mm-hmm. you're too much, mm-hmm. you know, maybe where this might be coming from. Mm-hmm. Yes. I love asking the question. Anytime I, I feel a, a not enoughness or a too muchness coming on. I love asking the question, like, Who's benefiting from this? Who's making money off mm-hmm. of my emotional state right now? Or who's trying to? Yeah. And you, there's something you were saying earlier that had me thinking about this as well, which is, again, my own personal work right now. Um, almost everything that I ever think or feel is like traced back to like, but what will so-and-so think uh, Yeah. about me if this, right? And of course, um, spoiler, um, it's always because I'm worried about that because that's what I think of myself. Imagine. Imagine. (laughs) (laughs) Which um, also I don't love, you know, that's a hard one to swallow. Mm -hmm. But um, the, the awareness that I've had recently, there's two. The first one I had when I was doing a um, deprogram, the patriarchy uh, coaching um, weekend a few months ago, and um, I realized, and I had already been through one layer of this when I had went through my divorce, which was like, I have put sort of all of the um, success and um, progress on the idea that I was married and we were Mm. partnered and we did these things together. And so now as a single woman, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do those things. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm going to be able to travel internationally because, you know, as a single woman, I don't know if that's safe or if it's wise or, you know, um, I don't have anybody to make these decisions with me and my income is cut in half and I, you know, I'm down, you know, one and a half incomes or, you know, all of these like practical things. And I had already worked my way through those. But what I didn't realize is um, the next thing I did was, and through no fault of anybody else's, right? Like nobody in my life is like telling me what to do. I am telling myself what I think other people are going to be telling me what to do. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) What I realized was it's the other men in my life. That I'm like, ooh, oh, what do you think my dad's gonna think about this? What do you think your brother-in-laws are gonna think about this? What do you think your boss is gonna think about this? What do you think you're right? And I was like, so messed up because at least when I was married, I had chosen my husband, like, hey, do you want to partner with me and make life decisions together? Yeah. And when he was gone, I didn't realize how much I was deferring out to external other men's opinions who I had not chosen. I had not chosen their values. 
they were not trying to live the same lifestyle that I was trying to live. So why was I putting so much? It was like, I was trying to live this very um, specifically big lifestyle under the guise of like, don't make anybody else worry about you Mm. or your risks or like, um, like, yeah, the risks that you're taking or the things that you're doing. And it's like, they are living a completely different life. They're, they don't know what a life coach is. (laughs) No, right. Like, and there's nothing wrong with that. They get to live their lives exactly as they want to live them. But so do I. Yes. And to, um, so one of them was that I was deferring it to other random men in my life. Um, and again, through no fault of their own, none of these men have like come to me and told me what I should be doing with my life. Right. These are all in my head. Um, and secondly, um, I noticed I was having the same, um, sort of worries about other people in my life this week. And, and these are different people. And I was like, oh, I'm. I don't know why I'm so worried what this person thinks of this. I know she has different values than I do. Yeah. Yeah. She might have different opinions about what I'm doing. Yeah. Different values than I do. And that's okay. Yeah. That's so, that's so good to notice. And it's so useful to, I think, bring up given that you are a life coach and that you are a money coach and Mm -hmm. that you have, feminist structures to your business and all of this that like I think sometimes in the same vein of I will reach ascension and only think abundant thoughts like people think if I do enough work on myself then I won't have to do that work again it's like like retirement from self I don't know self-work or whatever Mm -hmm. and it's so good to notice like no even even coaches are still dealing with that onion. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that's, I think that's probably the most useful thing that Freud gave us was the the idea of the onion because each layer is the same flavor. Mm-hmm. Each layer is the same fragrance. Each layer is the same color. It's just at a deeper level. Mm-hmm. And the more work we do, the more work we see that there is available to do. Mm-hmm. So that concept of ascension and never always thinking abundant thoughts, never having to do work on ourselves again and never, never working again, saving Mm -hmm. up and never having to work again. It all kind of seems the same. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely think, and I think this is where the way that I use my own money but also the way that I teach is what we have right now in the present is the only thing we're ever going to have. We could create more, but this moment right now, like how can we make this moment good? Mm -hmm. And this moment, the one that we want to have. And it's like, I mean, again, I'm not always in my present moment, but 
I think that when I am present, that's what joy and happiness feels like. Mm -hmm. And that is always available to us. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying it's easy. Nope. (laughs) So very big caveat. But again, I think I learned this lesson when I was going through, um, you know, my divorce is very difficult. Um, and unexpected and um, traumatic in a lot of ways. And I remember at that time being like, you know, but but look at the sunset is the most gorgeous thing I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And like going on a walk and really like feeling the air, like actually being able to feel the air on my skin and really like just being washed with joy. And so again, it's that yes and, right? It's like, yes, life can be incredibly hard and tragic. And amazingly, I can still be washed with this joy of the present moment while I'm going through some of the hardest things I've ever gone through and things that nobody should ever go through, right? Yeah. And also, yes, Life is amazing. And also sometimes we stub our toe or something, you know, unexpected happens or like, yes. And, and, um, the same. Yeah. I I just think the more we can realize that the present is the only thing that we ever have, we can plan for the future. Mm -hmm. Um, we can take really lovely, exquisite care of our future selves. But I I think we need to be careful about doing that at the expense of our present self. Absolutely. Absolutely. The recognition that the present is the only thing that we can ever experience. This mm-hmm. is this is all we ever have. Obviously things will change. Tomorrow will look different from today. But the present moment is the only thing that we ever have. Mm-hmm. We cannot actually live in the past nor can we actually live in the future mm-hmm. unless you have time travel secrets that I don't know about, in which case I have questions. <laughs> well, there is a time space continuum, but <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> I still don't know how to tap into it though. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but we can only ever experience the moment that we're in. Mm-hmm. Even if we do time travel, we're only experiencing the moment that we're mm-hmm. in. And In that case, knowing that this moment, I can take care of myself. This is sufficiency. This is okayness. That changes everything Mm -hmm. because it takes down the idea that I fucked up in the past. And, you know, then that means that this moment sucks Mm -hmm. or I might not have enough in the future. So that means I have to worry right now. Mm -hmm. Recognizing I am creative. I am resourceful. I am productive because that's what humans do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And we a hundred percent already know that because, you know, no matter what you're going through right now, if you're here, we know that you're the most beautiful thing of all, which is resilient. Yeah. Yeah, that 
cliche, you've made it through 100% of your worst days or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you made it. You made it here. Yeah. Oh, I love this. I love this. So I think the other thing that I want to just like tap in on, mm-hmm. which is is another way to think about sufficiency is that sufficiency is basically the thought ladder, right? Mm. Where it's like when we're at a negative thought and we're trying to get to a positive thought and we just try to like skip all that stuff in between, (laughs) which is, you know, like feeling your feelings and accepting what is, Um, you know, I think that sufficiency is that bridge or that thought ladder in between the scarcity and the abundance that we're like working towards. And so um, I I think there's a couple of different ways. Um, So as a money coach, I'm not, I'm not, specifically only mindset. And I think that a lot can be done with money coaching with mindset only. But I'm very um, very much like a triangular where it's like, here's some practical tactical things. Here's some like feelings work that we're going to have to like, do because it's going to come up. And also here's some like, energetic healing. Um, and they all have their place. And we can go any which way with them. Um, and it's just like, which way do you want to go? So sometimes we can work on the sufficiency by doing the dare to dream session where, where it's like, hey, what do you want your life to look and feel like? Mm-hmm. And they like lift it out. And they're like, oh, it actually is like that a lot right now. I'm just not enjoying my present moment Mm -hmm. or I'm not um, prioritizing those things on my calendar, but it's actually not about the money. It's actually more to do with where am I prioritizing my time and my energy, or maybe I'm throwing my energy away because I'm not where I want to be yet. And so I'm like completely ignoring that I already have access to all of the things that I want. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it could be like, let's, Get together all of your numbers so that we know, like, what's the money coming in and what's the money going out? And, like, look here. Here's a specific amount of overflow where, like, it is not true that you do not have enough. Like, there's money left over at the end that's discretionary. And look here. It actually fills all these buckets for all these things that you want to do. Yeah. And that we do through reverse engineering or reverse budgeting. Um, And the concept of reverse budgeting is really, like, what are the things that you want to do with your money? And you might say like travel, uh, Christmas is really important to me. I like to give like nice gifts and um, I really like, I really like to remodel my home. So we can say like, okay, like how much do you think you're going to spend on travel this year? And how much do you think you're going to spend on gift giving? And how much do you think that you will spend on your renovations? And then we can set aside a certain amount of money every month or every paycheck right off the top so that like we're we're, now when we're making our decisions of our discretionary spending we've already taken away 
the ability to accidentally fuck around and find out by spending your money on something else. Oh, I love this. I love this. I, I have a client who, um, she and I were talking about her dream is to own an apartment in Spain Mm. and we kind of did something similar Mm-hmm. where we were looking at, I, I don't know her actual numbers. I'm mm-hmm. not a money coach and I don't ask for those things. Sometimes, sometimes I do. If it's like, you don't even know what you're saying right now. Let's get yeah. very clear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Cause it's evidence building, right? It can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But it didn't occur to me that taking, taking the money off the top right from the very beginning then just leaves no room for that fucker out and find out. Like mm-hmm. you've already got that taken care of. And I love this. And you call it reverse budgeting. Yeah. This is brilliant. Thank you. It's not my concept, but it is a concept that I like. Um, so the way that I sort of describe myself is I'm like a personal finance junkie. It was like my nerd hobby, meaning that I would read these books but then I wouldn't just read them. I would be like implementing the things, which means that I was able to add different things that worked for me. And also like, hey, I like this concept, but that feels too restrictive. And I know me and I know that I will rebel against restriction. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to do that that way. But like, maybe I'll apply it this way. And that's one of the things I ask my clients too. So even though I have very specific systems and very specific things that we cover, I like to say, I'm going to teach you the rules and then you are going to tell me how you're going to break them. Mm. Like you just be like, hey, that's not going to work for me. I'm going to tell you right now, these things are a problem for me. It's like, fine, we can, we can mindset around it, right? We totally can do that. But I would really much rather you tell me what is going to work for you. And I have like all of these different concepts that I can offer you from like all of these different books and all of these different podcasts, all of these different like resources and things that I've consumed just because I'm that big of a nerd, right? <laughs> um, but also from my clients, right? So this is the other thing that I think is so beautiful about working with so many brilliant, bright women like I'll teach them something and then we co-create like the most amazing things together where like they bring their brilliance and they bring their big dreams. And now it's so much bigger than either one of us would have created on our own. And then, then I have like that option to offer to somebody else. Right. So Mm. I had this client that just recently, um, wanted to really streamline the way she uses her credit cards so that she was using her rewards and getting rewards in her most efficient ways. Mm-hmm. And she created this spreadsheet. And then I was like, oh, you know, she sent it to me as a victory. Like, look what I did. And I was like, this is amazing. I was like, do you mind if I, you know, do you mind sharing it with me so I can share it with my other clients? And she was like, absolutely, right? Right. I love this. And so it's that co-creation process. I think that is really important um, because again, I uh, listening to your past podcast episodes, right? Like I love the one that you talk about, like the thrift stores, like I'm not going to wear somebody else's old shoes. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to like 
teach you a system and give you a system. And then you're like, well, this doesn't work. This, I must be stupid because I don't understand this. Right. It's like very different than that. It's very much like, here's an outline. And then I sit with you and we do it together, which might be the way that we come up with your mindset work, which is what I was going to say is like, sometimes walking through the system will bring up thought errors that you have that you are not willing to look at any other way. Mm-hmm. 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 I love that. And I think this is why, um, this is why your work is so appealing to me. This is why I think that you are so brilliant. This is why on your Instagram, I look at it and I'm just like, Oh shit, that's amazing. Because there are so many systems that do exist and you have gone through them very clearly. You have gone through them. You know, the practical applications of like all the different, all the, all of the different big, you know, financial people tout. Mm-hmm. And because you have all of that information in your arsenal, you're able to kind of cross them over and see Mm -hmm. what works together, what probably won't actually work for anyone, but it looks real cute on a spreadsheet. So, Mm -hmm. you know, then just kind of toss that out the window or what can be kind of messed with in order to be able to customize it for somebody. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, then it it does bring up all of your own shit when you mm-hmm. are willing to look at the practical application of things, then it does bring up all of your thought errors because you go into it thinking, oh, well, X, Y, Z can't ever work, but look at how it actually works in front of me. And I'm unwilling to. Hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah, and maybe it works in front useful. of you because we left something out and we're going to find that data as we go through. Right. And so that's the other thing about like, I mean, one of the things that I do with my clients is help them set up a budget, um, using a software called YNAB, which stands for you need a budget. And it's different than any other budgeting software in that it's basically a gamification. It's like Tetris for your money. And so, um, it's, it's like a point of frustration sometimes for my clients as they're getting started. They're like, how, like, why do I need to do this? And like, do we have to start here? Can we just start at the part, right? So we start with the dreaming and then we do the reverse budgeting and we use YMAP to collect the data first. And because we're going to go through the last 30 days as it's been spent without you knowing that we were tracking it, we're going to get some really good data. And the data is not meant to shame you or guilt you or like, aha, right? Like this is where you've been wasting all your money. No, it's like, hey, did you know that you spent this here in this way? Is this how you want to spend it? Or would you rather automate a system to take this $300 off the top so that you can go on vacation once a year? Mm -hmm. Or do you really just like spending tar- money at Target or Amazon? It's totally fine if that's where you want to spend it. But let's be honest about that. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I love going to Target and spending my money there. I'm so glad I get to do that. And then there's a whole other equation, which is the one that I am constantly relearning. Is like, oh, actually, we can do both. <laughs> if I just 
figure out a way to make more money. (laughs) That's what I love too, is helping make sure women specifically make more money because it's been in the hands of men for far too long. (laughs) Yeah. And here's the other thing I do want to touch on. Um, I, you know, there's a lot of clients who come to me originally and they're like, you know, I, I maybe want to leave this to somebody else. Like, I don't really want to make these decisions. Mm -hmm. Like, I think maybe somebody else would be better at this than I am. And I just have to counter, like, I don't think there's anybody, anybody better than a woman in charge of her finances Mm -hmm. at the head of the household in that partnership making mm-hmm. those decisions because you do such an amazing job of making sure everybody's needs and wants and desires are met. Mm-hmm. And um, the men also are not taught what to do with money, right? No. So they also, they also have the same complaints. Like how come they didn't teach us taxes and real estate in school? Yeah. How come I don't know what to do, right? Like they also don't know. So don't assume, even though you've been conditioned and programmed to believe that women are not good at money and they, you know, um, I'm using air quotes, but, yeah. um, or that, you know, and again, the systemic oppression where we for sure know that we do not make a dollar for a dollar, right? Like right. all of those things as they are, don't assume that you're not the best person to make the decisions for your money. Mm-hmm. Like Honestly, a hundred percent, no one else is going to care about your money as much as you do. Ever. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is unquestionable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love this. I love this so much. Are there any things that you feel like we need to cover that we didn't? Um, this has been amazing. Let's just look. Oh, the other thing that we do in my work with clients that I do think is really um, beneficial mm-hmm. and sort of looking at that big picture and how we are more um, uh, more resourced and mm-hmm. more in charge of our our own individual decisions and that's tracking net worth. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I think it's so helpful. So I started doing this in 2009. So I have a spreadsheet that goes all the way back to like every six months, I just pop in there and like put in what my account values were. And I can see very clearly from 2009 to 2022, what was happening in my own individual finances, which means I can see through the media bureaucracy. (laughs) I can see, I can see through like um, the stock market climbs and the presidential um, um, elections. And I can see all of that is true. There was a whole macro economy happening outside of me. And also I was still able to make market progress by knowing what my numbers were. It's another way to gamify things, right? So it's like, it it builds self-confidence in your decision-making 
and in how much how much impact you really do have over your own assets. And also it sort of can gamify it because it's like, ooh, what do I need to do to get to the next $10,000 level here, right? And not in a way that we're like substituting our net worth as our personal value worth, but in a way that's like, hey, you're telling yourself a bullshit story that you are not making any progress. And it's really easy to do that because a lot of times our bank account, our checking account balance stays about the same. Mm-hmm. I like to think about our checking account balance as sort of a belt. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like, I don't know, like over, over the years I have this belt and it's like, as long as I can put the belt on, I know like I'm within the range of which I feel good in my clothes. And sure. When the belt no longer fits and I feel uncomfortable, I'm like, okay, like maybe I want to make some changes here. And I think the checking account balance can be very similar. Um, I think we all have like a number that we feel comfortable with. And when we're making progress, like paying down debt and investing in um, retirement funds, we often don't see how much progress we're really making because it feels like our bank account balance is the same. And don't get me wrong, like that will eventually change, but at first it might not. And so the way that I like to do the net worth tracking is also to have like a second spreadsheet. Like there's another tab that's like, here's all of the things that we did. Like we saved up the money. I like to call it save to splurge. So it's like, I saved up, I went on this vacation, I saved up, I I did this home remodel and having a list over there, like, here's all the other things that we did that maybe don't translate to net worth value, but they do, I mean, they're going to show up a little bit, right? Like home value or whatnot. But like, for the most part, it's like, here's the things that we did in our life that like, these are adding value to our life that that those are never going to go away. Mm-hmm. These are memories that we've built. These are experiences that we've had. So um, that's another thing that I think can be really helpful in collecting evidence about how sufficient we really are. I love this. I love the combination of the practical tools with the thought work and feelings work. And I, I, I see so often one extreme or the other. And they're not integrated in this way. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's so, so helpful. So useful. Thank you. And the one other thing that I'm adding currently, I'm working on um, a trauma certification. Mm. So the relationship to like, basically our self relationship with traumas that we have experienced in our lives. Right. Mm-hmm. So really going much further into the um, feelings work. And then I will also be taking an advanced uh, feminist certification um, in the spring. So, I mean, really when, when you work with me, you're not getting like one modality. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is basically because I don't live by one modality. Like, yeah. You asked the question, um, which we didn't get to, which maybe you're going to ask me now, but um, you asked like, 
how is my business feminist as fuck? Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, first of all, that is the best question I've ever been asked on any podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> but for me, it's like, because I'm literally building my life right now in exactly the way that I want it to be. And all of the things, all of the modalities that I study is for my own personal interest and my own personal growth. And then like, yes, my clients are going to a hundred percent benefit from that, but I'm not like out there chasing certifications because I think that I need them for my clients to work with me. It's like, Mm. Hey, here's where I'm, here's, here's where I'm feeling deficient. Here's where I'm feeling like a hole. Here's where I'm feeling a gap. Like here's how I want to be filled up. And then, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's just the coolest thing for me. Like I get to create my own job title. I have like this really obscure personal finance hobby that I made into this like beautiful offering that I get to work with and know women from all over the world who are doing all kinds of amazing work in the world. And I know like I have a very specific skill set that they really, and they relate to me and my personality and I relate to them and their personality, right? Like we are like, these are like, like companion sister friendships, right? I love this. And I know that when they are able to take care of their money at home and in their business, that that makes them more sustainable to do more of the work that they're doing in the world. So I know that the impact that I'm having for them ripples out in ways that I will never be able to imagine. Yeah. I love this. I love it so much. So how... How do, how do people work with you? Do you have, do you do one-on-one stuff? Do you do group programs? Do you have self-study courses? Like what, what does this look like? Yeah. So right now there's two ways you can work with me. Um, one way is a quick win. And that is basically like helping you set up your revenue into a self-pay day. So it's three sessions. It's $999. It helps you figure out how to make yourself a consistent payday and set aside money for your taxes based off the money you're already making. Um, And that is, again, it's just three sessions. So it's such a no brainer. Like you can just do it and be done with it and have that system set up. And And it's like the whole thing, the thing that entrepreneurs, especially women entrepreneurs, I'm, I'm only saying, especially because that's who I primarily work with we don't fucking pay ourselves. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And when we do, we're really confused about it. Cause we're like, yeah. Oh yeah, I have a business checking account and I put my money in there and I take care of all of the things that need to happen. And then eventually when I'm like telling myself that I do all this work for nothing <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, and there's not enough money at home and I have to take some money out to pay a bill. That's when I pay myself. It's like not the same thing, right? Yeah. That's not the same thing at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And again, it takes a little while, right? It takes a little while to have to build up the data and to build up the trust. And so if you're not already doing it, no shame, no shade at all. It's very common. Um, and then the other way that I work with people is in a six month format. And again, it's custom. There's 14 sessions that we go through everything from the dare to dream session 
to everything for your personal finances, a lot of your business um, finance setup, like all of the basics for your personal finance and your business finance will be set up at the end of those six months. And um, then you can continue to work with me on what I call compound effects, which is like, now we have your business system set up. If that's everything you needed, like go on and do your thing. But if you're like, actually, I have an up-level plan in place and I would like some continued support. Or actually, um, I have these systems set up, but I'm still struggling with some things around my mindset. So I want to just continue on and have your support for your systems. And also, I want you to be my life coach because you know me and you know my money. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's why I call it the compound effects. It's like, Yes, the business basics and your home personal finances are set up, but like continuing on is like compound interest. Like there's so much more that's always available for you in that, that up level. And and really thinking about what is the legacy that I want to live, leave behind because I am who I am and I have created a business who is the expression of me in the world. I love this. I love it. I, how many times have I said, I love this to something that you said tonight? <laughs> Good grief. Um, I'm not but, tired of it yet, Kelly. I'm not <laughs> <laughs> I love that what you offer is sustainable. Um, because I think sometimes when, when there is like, I offer a three month package or a six month package or whatever, then the expectation is sort of, okay, so at the end of six months, then you disappear. Like what, what happens? <laughs> I know. <Yeah. laughs> and you make it so effortless to say, okay, if you're done, then you're done. But if not, I'm still here with you. I think that's so important. It's yeah. so important. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, I will say too, like, I, I have had some clients who, came and we worked on things that were completely outside of the systems, but it was what they needed. Sure. And, you know, and so I'm always going to meet you where you're at and and we're going to work through the thing that's most pressing for you because the, again, spoiler alert, it's not the systems <laughs> that's going to change your life. No. What's really going to change your life is like the realization that you are your own financial authority and you are your own, like, again, you are the person who cares about your finances more than anybody else in the world. And you owning that and really like learning how to ask the questions of the financial professionals that you work with and learning how to fire the financial professionals that you are not looking forward to talking to. Mm-hmm. If you have a tax planner that scares you, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> you know, if you like put off calling your insurance person because they like creep you out or they give you the heebie-jeebies, like, hey, guess what? You get to choose. Mm-hmm. You get to choose who you work with. And so this is one of the things I was thinking about this week is this idea of business besties being like, you know, your network and like the people that you talk to about your business. And yes, I love business besties like that. And also the business bestie relationships that you really want to develop are the ones like your insurance broker Mm. and your tax planner 
And again, I'm not saying in a way of like, hey, these are the only like, this is the only way you can have fun. But you really do want somebody who's just as comfortable for you to talk to as your business Betsy, you know, you, you want that you want to be able to call them and they're going to be as excited for your new offering as you are. And they're not going to be like, uh, are you sure that this expense is right? Because it's pretty, seems pretty astronomical, Mm -hmm. right? Like, Oh, yeah. I don't need my finance people to judge me. (laughs) I mean, you know, we do enough of that ourselves. And so really just knowing like, Hey, you get to choose who you work with. Yeah. You get to vote with your dollars. Vote with your dollars. So important. So important. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. So where can, where can we find you? Yeah. So the best place to find me is RochelleCP.com. That's my website, but also I'll be RochelleCP.moneycoach on Instagram and also on Facebook. Um, I'm on Instagram more than I'm on Facebook, but I think it, you know, sort of filters over there. Um, but yeah, I would love, um, for anybody who this resonates with, go to RochelleCP.com, sign up for my money guide, um, right there on the homepage, you're going to get like a money playlist. Um, there's a, a curated podcast, uh, list in there about money. Um, from all different experts. It's not me and my podcast. It's like a collection of curated episodes that I find really helpful. Um, I recommend that people use those two lists when they're doing their boring business finances or their boring home finances, right? Like listen to, listen to a money um, playlist while you're getting your stuff in order. Like bring in some, you know, bring in some something good while you're doing those things. Or if it's something that you actually want to be able to focus a little bit more on, like listening to something like learning something while you're doing those um, little more mundane administrative tasks. Um, And then there's also lots of other habits and routines and some, um, there's some mindset stuff in there. There's there's a little bit of everything. There's a little bit of everything in that um, triangle on that money guide. So I think that's a great place to connect with me. I love this. Ah, thank you so much. Thank you so much. This has been delightful. Thank you I, for having me. Oh my gosh. So my pleasure. I look forward to many more conversations with you. Amazing. <laughs> Thanks, Kelly. <laughs>